0: This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you.
1: Very good morning to you all. Today's first reading is from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 16. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And, turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found a servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier that they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared amongst us. They said, God has come to help his people. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: The second reading this morning is from Romans chapter one, beginning at the 16th verse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because god has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world god's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse for although they knew god they neither glorified him as god nor gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things, rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what, they ought not, what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Hear the word of the Lord.
2: Let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of your great name. Amen. Please uh, do be seated, and if you've got your Bible there, uh, turn it to Romans chapter 1, or if you've got the order of service, turn it to that reading we just had, and also I've got the uh, service outline uh, there, sorry, the sermon outline there. Um, If you haven't got one, there's a bunch floating around, and there's certainly some in the church porches. But let me begin by saying that hearing the words of Romans 1 feels very discordant today, does it not? Let's all acknowledge that. But let's step back and see that this is just one tile in a mosaic that implicates all of hum- all human beings, all of us, from the most obviously sinful to the most seemingly religious. And let's see how this is all necessary preparation for the unexpected and lavish love of God in Jesus Christ. Now, we saw last week, uh, Archbishop Kanishka was preaching to us last week, and he told us about Paul's eagerness to share the gospel, uh, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the whole world. And Paul practically shouted in verse 16, doesn't he? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, why Might Paul have been ashamed of the gospel? He explains elsewhere that it is foolishness to Greeks and a stumbling block to Jews. The cross of Jesus Christ is a disgraceful, shameful symbol of defeat. Christianity was not clever in the eyes of the Greco-Roman world, and it seemed not glorious in the eyes of the Jewish world. But though it looks weak, for Paul... It is the power of God that brings salvation to both Jews and Greeks, to everyone, in other words. The death and resurrection of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, turns out to be good news for all people, unleashing the divine power that alone can overturn the forces of sin and death. And that power had even reached Rome. How does it work? The gospel shows that we can be right with God by faith. That is to say, the possibility of being declared righteous is declared to all people. All people have it available to them. All people have the invitation to receive it. And that status comes by faith, not by doing the good works of the law, not by our human performance. It's by faith all the way. That's why Paul quotes Habakkuk, the old prophet, at the end of verse 17, saying there, it's the righteous who will live by faith. That is, we will become righteous, right with God, in right standing with God, by faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ, then, is dynamic. It's got the power to conquer sin and death itself by the extraordinary grace of God. And it's an invitation to all people everywhere, without prejudice or exception, to know the salvation that comes by faith. But why? Why was the gospel of Jesus Christ, with its extraordinary revelation of God's righteousness by faith, why was it necessary? Why do you and I need to hear it even today? Because the rebellion of humankind against God is universal and it's made human beings everywhere subject to the wrath of god it's a universal problem that we cannot solve by religion or by politics or by education and it includes that includes you and me only the power of god can help us see you and i we we tend to think that there are two types of people that there's good people And there's bad people. But Paul says, there's only one type of person. And it isn't the good type. We're all in the same boat. And so he offers then, and you heard it, didn't you? A searing examination of the human condition. His camera, if you like, sweeps across all human society. And at each stage, we might be feeling a little bit self-righteous and saying, yes, that's them, they're terrible over there. But eventually, his camera will be, will be panning back and we'll find that we too are in the frame. And as we'll see next week in the beginning of chapter two, there's no place for smugness or superiority or sneering here. In fact, that hypocrisy is just as bad as anything else. Now, you might have taken offence at Paul's words. You might be thinking, how how dare he? How how dare he say this? Now, some of you know that uh, I am going blind. I have an eye condition that, if left untreated, will take my sight, not rapidly, but bit by bit. It's called glaucoma. It's reasonably common. The doctor told me, and he had to tell me. He had to sit me down and tell me some very bad news about five years ago. And he had to show me, to convince me, that I'd already lost a very small part of my vision. And the trick with glaucoma is you don't even notice it. You don't even know that you've lost a part of your vision. But he also had some good news. It's an easily manageable problem if you just take some eye drops. Of course. I wasn't offended by his his judgmentalism over his eyesight. How weird it would have been for me to say, Dr. Hennessy, how dare you? He's a good doctor, by the way. It was only by hearing the danger that I was in that I was able to hear the good news of how easy it was to avoid. And this is what Paul is doing for us here too. A radical salvation is needed. In fact, he's announcing the appearance of a radical salvation because sin is a radical problem we won't grasp hold of the radical salvation if we don't realize how radical the problem is nothing short of god's power his life-giving power is needed because sin is so deadly and so deadening nothing short of god's grace is needed because we cannot earn it ourselves Though we are worthwhile to God, precious indeed to him, we are not worthy. If we don't see the problem, we won't see how good the good news is. We'll continue to think, such a pervasive way to think this, that that trying harder to be better, God helps those who help themselves, some people say. Complete nonsense. We think that more education or changing the system will somehow Save us, but what exactly is the problem? Well, people, Paul says that uh, human sin is not just a matter of a few misdemeanors. Our sin starts; it has a root, it, it has a, a cause, a common cause. Although it's very it, there's an enormous variety to it, it has a common cause, and it starts with suppressing the truth about God. We then go into exchange the worship of the true God for worship of things that are not God, things that are created. And then we are given over to the vast array of human wickedness. Suppress, exchange, given over. Now you'll notice, the pedants among you will have noticed that I've misspelled the word suppress on the uh, outline. And I just confess that, put that out there. I've named it now. You don't have to worry about it. If you want to take your little pen and put a P, you know who you are, and I know who you are. You put it in there now. Not naming any names. In verses 18 to 20, we see that God's wrath is revealed against human beings who in their wickedness suppress the truth about God. What does he mean? Well, he's just, he's just asking us to look at human nature, looking at humankind, its history and its current state. Can we not see what state we're in? And the connection between a particular attitude to God and wicked behaviour is made very strongly in these words. If the basic commands of God to human beings are to love him, love God, and then to love our neighbor, then likewise, a failure of worship leads to a failure of behavior. They're two sides of the same coin, deeply connected. The evil of human beings starts with censorship of God, a failure to listen to him. God has been no-platformed by human beings. He's been cancelled by us. We ignore him and reject his way. We should know God, since knowledge of the true God is obvious, because God himself makes it obvious to us in the majesty of his creation. False worship and ignorance of God are, then for Paul, willful acts of suppression, not accidents of birth or culture. And that's why it's culpable It isn't just a matter of a difference of opinion over philosophical matters or religious matters. The outright rejection of God, the Creator, who made his own existence plain to us in the things that he has made, including our very selves, is a rejection of the source of all that is good and true and beautiful. Did you see the James Webb telescope images that NASA released this week? Extraordinary images, on a consideration of the size and beauty of the universe, which gets bigger and bigger the more we look at it, 13.5 billion light years in every direction, I believe, and that's just what we can see at the moment, we should easily come to recognize the existence and the greatness, the majesty of the Creator. God has not concealed himself from us despite his invisible nature. In fact, his invisible qualities ought to be obvious to us from what he has made. Human beings can not, not only can discern him from the evidence of the world, they ought to have. They, without, they are without excuse. Their ignorance is self-deceiving, a culpable ignorance. God's eternal power and his divine nature, says Paul. These qualities that are beyond our human understanding are mediated to us through the creation of temporal and non-divine things, through the things we see and touch. The glory of the Lord shines through his creation. As the great poet of the 19th century, Gerard Manley Hopkins said, the world is charged with the grandeur of God, it is rung out like shining from shook foil. The glory of the Lord shines through his creation. He's put his stamp on it. It bears his fingerprints. To spend time in the world contemplating him, the maker of all that is, is clearly what we are made to do. And we are made also to to give him thanks for all that is, for, for his creation, for his magnificence in doing it, for life and health and safety and for freedom to rest and all that we thanked him for earlier. But that's not what human beings do. So what happens when human beings deny the true God? Well, we don't stop being religious. That's very interesting here. It's not as if there's a move to atheism here. In fact, human beings are very religious in every way. We worship because we were made for worship. There is a God-shaped hole in every human heart. And we fill that hole with either the true God or the false or false gods. And this willful act of suppressing the truth leads, ironically, to further inescapable ignorance. The desire of God still resides in us, the need to know him and to worship him. It's still there, but now we are given over to an epidemic of foolish ways to worship the things that are not truly God. And true worship, as Paul tells us here, involves glorifying God and giving thanks to him. That's what should happen when we recognise the true God in his world. The proper and humanising pose is praise and gratitude. For this, you and I were made, but in suppressing the truth, we instead look to the things of the created world and worship them. We worship things that we too have created instead of the one who made them. And it's as ridiculous as it is deeply offensive. Now, we live in an era in which the worship of idols is not usually as direct as it was in Paul's day. But the suppression of the knowledge of the true God still leads to false worship, in which the objects that are created become God's substitutes. And we do this all the time, that God-shaped hole in our hearts. We place things that nestle there and take over the God space. Grip our focus and our tension. Lead us on captivate us indeed things that indeed do not wish for our good things that consume us even as we worship them and these things that are perishable and limited take the place of the ultimate being who is eternal and unlimited it's as pathetic and foolish today as it ever was and with this comes the shadow into which the great gospel of Jesus Christ throws its light. And that's what we get in verses 24 through to 32. And it's interesting here, God essentially gives us what we want. He gives us over to it, just as he did in the Garden of Eden. He gave Adam and Eve free, their freedom to live without him, to live life on their own terms. This is exactly what we see here. And as we look at what happens in human society as we seek to live our own lives our own way without god we are called to ask by paul how's it going human beings how's it going not referencing god how good a job are we doing with with it he gives us over and what we see as a result is this vast array of wickedness of which degrading sexual behavior is an example a graphic example as we see in verse 24. false worship goes along with behavior that desecrates the human body, the human body which itself is made in God's image. The lie about God leads to a lie about the human heart and its fulfillment through sexual promiscuity, which is self-destructive. It's perhaps the opposite of the way we would think about it or the way we imagine Paul would think about it. We, We would see or we'd think Paul might see sexual promiscuity as the reason for God's wrath, not the result of it. But you see, this is really important. Paul isn't a moralist. He's not actually finger-wagging here. He says that the behavior that he's describing is the fruit, the consequence of deliberate acts of ignorance and false worship. That's, this is where it leads when we choose to lead our own lives our own way without God. Idolatry is a big lie It becomes the source of an immorality that is damaging we deny the beautiful order with which God made the world and made us, and we degrade it. Paul himself would have seen graphic evidence of this in the brothels and temples of Ephesus and Corinth as he went round the Greco-Roman world on his missionary journeys, where male and female prostitutes were an offer in their hundreds, even calling what they did sacred acts of worship. In fact, the brothels are often next to the temples in the ancient world. He would also have seen how elite Greco-Roman men, the leaders of their households, would have used other men, boys and girls for their sexual pleasure. With the explosion of pornography in our own time, we have seen this terrible course, a curse fall on our own society in industrial strength. It is a billion dollar industry that has got its hooks into a whole generation we know that it's deeply destructive secular psychologists know that it's deeply and educators know that it's deeply deeply destructive they know they can see the damage that it's doing and yet there's no will to stop it paul would see it as a tragic symptom of a rejection of the truth about god a consequence of that partly it's a result of distorted thinking about god the world and humanity. But partly, this is giving us what we want, a giving over by God. Just as in Eden, where God gave Adam and Eve what they asked for, here God gives human beings over to the lies that they believe. To live apart from God and without the blessing of living according to his will is a punishment itself. Sin, as they say, is its own reward. I had a science teacher who used to say that about my homework. Never forgotten it. The willful denial of the truth about God and the creation leads to sex outside the God given order of marriage between husband and wife. Paul includes homosexual sex here. Now, you would not be alone in feeling the jarring edge of verses 26 to 27 in our contemporary culture and context. What Paul is saying would have been obviously true to many in his audience as evidence of his point. It isn't to ours, to say the least. But since his overall point is to explain that the effect of turning away from the true God is a kind of blindness, and that that affects not just individuals but cultures, perhaps that should give us pause for thought. Maybe we are not seeing things aright. Also, we should remember that this long salvo against the darkness of humanity He is preparing the ground for the glorious message of the gospel of divine grace and reconciliation in Jesus Christ. He is not meanly singling out gay people as a persecuted minority for condemnation, and neither should we. He is describing the state of all human beings, all without exception, so that he can then show how the gospel comes to all human beings not because of how good we are, but as an undeserved gift. Now, of course, there's a great deal more that needs to be said and heard here as we wrestle together with this text and with the Bible as a whole. And I'd welcome any thoughts or questions or opportunities to have coffee, whatever it might be, Um, uh, just do let me know. I'd be very happy for that. The bottom line, though, for Paul is that though human wickedness is mercifully restrained by civil laws and human conventions, there is something very dark about you and me. In verses 28 through to 32, he lists both the dramatic sins and the trivial side by side. Did you notice that? It's shocking to us, aren't they? He's got murder and gossip and disobeying your parents side by side, which seems to us to lack proportionality. But remember, Paul is saying, that those things are the same, they are alike because they have the same root cause in our rebellion against God. This list of vices are crimes against love. They make society itself dangerous and uncertain. Chillingly, he says in verse 30, human beings invent ways of doing evil. We've we not seen this in our own times. Our new technology has it made possible New ways of hating other people, doing violence to them. We invent new angles on depravity and new ways to do violence. Now, you might be saying, is humankind really that bad? Paul paints a very bleak picture, certainly. And I invite you, if you're not yet convinced, to just contemplate this, to consider this question. Is human being as bad as it's painted here? Is that really the case? But history tells us that there is a very thin line between civilization and barbarity when it comes to human beings. The great literary critic George Steiner once said, we now know that a man can listen to Brahms and Bach in the evening and go to his work at Auschwitz in the morning. Education and culture and nice, a nice life did not protect Germany in the 1930s from inventing new ways to exterminate people, did not prevent the middle class of that country from endorsing it. That we have rafts of legislation protecting each other from harassment in the workplace shows that even small amounts of power corrupt us. The child abuse scandals in the church, the, the just leave me speechless... The extraordinary worldwide committing and then allowing of the grossest of evils to take place. What the Me Too movement has revealed about what life is like in the workplace, in particular, for, for many, many women. These are shocking but ultimately unsurprising revelations of what human beings are like and what we will do given half the chance sometimes, even while lip service to the true God, is paid. These are not exceptional evils, but evils in which we all share, and of which, given the right circumstances, we are all capable, if not one, then certainly another. Now, if you think you're not covered in the list, then I invite you to look over, cast your eye back over it. Are you covered in the list? And if, you're, if, you, if you still think you aren't there, then Paul has a special word for self-righteous hypocrites next week. So do come back for that. <laughs> self-righteous hypocrites are always welcome. So what do we need? We need a supernatural intervention. We need... A resurrection you cannot moralize or educate our ways out of our way out of this religion and revolution change nothing ultimately cannot change the human heart but this supernatural intervention is exactly what Paul has seen he's been around the world and he's seen the power of the gospel before his eyes, to transform lives and to change hearts. No amount of moralism could ever achieve this. No amount of finger-wagging could ever achieve anything like this. He's seen something else. He's known it in his own life. He calls himself the chief of sinners. He remembers when he was uh, breathing out murderous threats against the people of Jesus Christ. And yet he's seen in his own life, felt and experienced the resurrection power of God, giving new life to those who are lost and without hope. That is the very people of Romans chapter 1. And I've seen it too. I've seen it right here amongst this community with people of all kinds. God continues to surprise me week by week. By bringing life to the dead, by the outpouring of his resurrection power amongst people, the way he transforms hearts is extraordinary. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is just the miracle we need but have never deserved. When we accept Christ as Lord, then we receive from him not judgment but blessed freedom, true freedom. Not the freedom we thought we had by living our own, wa- our own lives, our own way without God, but but true freedom and a new heart to live a life that pleases God. As Paul will say later in Romans, and do come back to hear how Romans grows and develops, we see this scene stretch out before us. As Paul will say, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ. For in him, the spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death. It is very, very good news.
0: Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.